0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you, also, so you must also, excuse me, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, uh, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So... This is, uh, Paul is basically answering a question here. Evidently, they had wrote Paul a letter. Uh, we know that from other issues that Paul addressed earlier in this first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, but obviously, or, or apparently, they asked him some question about the collection for the saints. Um, and so he's answering their question. And the collection for the saints was for the believers in Jerusalem. Uh, they uh, you know, they were going through a hardship, financial hardship. And uh, so he's going to be answering answering that question we'll be talking about that in a few minutes here but you might think well wait a minute what what a transition here right because we spent three weeks last week and the week before, and the week before, going through chapter 15, dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? We talked about the, the reality of the resurrection, all the witnesses of the resurrection. Uh, we talked about the relevance of the resurrection, how it, how it applies to me. And then last week, which was my, well, I, I was excited about it, was our resurrection. and talking about how you and I will be resurrected. I mean, that's like, what a glorious chapter, uh, chapter 15. But now we get to chapter 16, and Paul's talking about money. And he's talking, you know, talking about different things here, and you go, well, what a what a transition, what a what a way to end a letter. But you know, the thing is, we are as believers, and you know, uh, we just had the prophecy conference that we live streamed here, Jan Markell's Understanding the Times conference, and you know, boy, I tell you, the signs of the times are here. We know that Jesus is returning for His church very soon. Um, it, it, you know. So we're, we're to be excited about that. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. In fact, this morning when I was laying in bed, I didn't want to get up. And I'm like, Lord, if you come right now, I'd be okay because then, <laughs> I, then I don't have to teach this morning. <laughs> uh, but here we are. <laughs> so you know, we're to live and plan with eternity in mind, aren't we? I mean, we're to be excited about the Lord's return. And, and everything we do should be focused on that. But the thing is, we're also to occupy until Jesus Christ returns. I mean, we're excited. You know, it's like at work. You know, you're know, you at work, and you know you're getting off in a few hours. You know, it's 2, a, 2 p.m. You It's like, OK, I'm done, because I know I'm getting off, so I'm not going to do any more work. Well, that's not very, you're not a good employee, right? You're to be working right up until quitting time. Well, as believers, we're to be doing the same. We know that Jesus is returning but I still got to be responsible. I still pay my mortgage. I still work my job. I still uh, I take care of my family. I do all those things that I should do, be a witness in the community and, you know, in my own family, whatever. We're to be occupied. And so I think it's fitting that Paul, you know, he's talked about the resurrection. We're all excited about Jesus Christ's return. But in the meantime, you occupy as if Jesus isn't coming back for a long time, although he will be coming back very soon. I, I believe it but in the meantime, occupy as if he wasn't. So Paul is going to be talking about giving this morning. And he's, the first part of this chapter is giving of your, of your talents, or, excuse me, giving of your treasures. But he's also going to be talking about giving of time and giving of talents, because those are the three ways that you and I can occupy, is giving of our time, our talents, talents, and our treasure. And so uh, beginning in this section here, these verses 1 through 4, is a very practical way to occupy until our resurrection, until Jesus Christ returns for for you and I. And that is the giving of our treasure. So I mentioned, why is Paul even addressing an issue about an offering? Well, the, the believers in Jerusalem were struggling. We know that they were going through persecution even when Jesus was uh, ministering there in Jerusalem, the, the Sanhedrin said, "Man, if anybody follows him, and they're kicked out of the out of the out of the synagogue." Now, Jewish culture was it was just wrapped with in you know it was it wasn't like here you can live secular, secularly and 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 go to church you know you you've got kind of separate things it shouldn't be that way but it is but in Jerusalem in those days. If you weren't a part of the synagogue, man, you were you didn't people wouldn't hire you. You know, you were an outcast. And so there was persecution going on for the Christians in Jerusalem. We also know that there was a major famine that was prophesied and it actually happened during the reign of Claudius Caesar and apparently it lasted for several years. Now, this letter was written later, not much later, so they were probably still recovering from that. We also know in the book of Acts that there was a large amount of widows in the church of Jerusalem for whatever reason, um, whatever the factors were, there was a need. There was a need to minister to the saints there in Jerusalem. So Paul is going around. All these churches that he started, most of them are Gentile-believing churches. He's saying, hey, you guys, we need to support our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So, So he's going around collecting for the saints in Jerusalem. Now, some people might say, well, wait a minute. So that's kind of, you know, maybe what we should just be doing is just providing for the poor. That should just be the minute. That's only where my money goes. That's not the case. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul, in fact, we're going to be looking at that a little bit later on, but in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul talks a lot about uh, guidelines for giving uh, in widows in, in particular, but giving in general, I think it applies. But in chapter 5, the same chapter in verses 17 and 18, he says this. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So it's not just giving to the poor. I believe, personally, you're giving to the the ministry of a local body that you're a part of. And so this portion here that we'll be looking at is how to be free with your treasure. And there's some good guidelines in here forgiving. So Paul starts out, he says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. That's regular planned giving. It's interesting, you know, that he mentions on the first day of the week. Well, that's when the Christians met. That's when Jesus rose from the dead is the first day of the week. And so uh, ever since then, churches have been meeting on the first day of the week. Believers, wherever they're at, they're meeting. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, we had a family here once. They were very involved with sports. We were just, you know, just kind of uh, smaller. Believe it, we were even smaller than we are now. Um, and at that time, and uh, after a while, they, they stopped coming. And I found out afterwards that it's because their kids were so involved in sports that they, they, they couldn't commit to a Sunday. They wanted to have a Saturday service. And there's some churches that do it, and I'm not against a Saturday service. So I was kind of like, well, what do I do? Do we, do, do, we, do we switch to a Saturday? And, you know, I'll be honest with you, maybe we would minister to some people, but for me personally, I can't not do church on a Sunday. Because that's the Lord's Day. I mean, that's the day when Jesus rose from the dead. And all through the ages, Christians have gathered on the Lord's Day. So um, again, I'm not against a Saturday service. Maybe sometime we'll do that if the need arises here. But it'll never be to the exclusion of a Sunday morning service. It'll never happen for me anyways. I might be the only one here. My wife will have to be here. She's my wife. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So regular plan giving. And then he says on the first day of the week let each one of you lay something aside something he doesn't even specify something but you know that's t- having a priority with your finances and then he says storing up as he may prosper so it's proportionate to your income i personally believe the tithe is a, is a good place to start that's a 10% of your income and you might say well wait a cotton pitkin a minute <laughs> The tithe was required under the old covenant and we're under the new covenant, so it doesn't apply to believers today. I don't believe that's the case because tithing precedes the old covenant. You remember Abraham when he went out to rescue his nephew, Lot, who had been taken captive by the kings of, uh, uh, I forgot the names. There's a bunch of like five kings against six kings. And anyways, Lot and, and Sodom and Gomorrah, they were taken, uh, the king of Sodom, they were all taken captive. And Abraham goes and he fights a battle and he re- rescues Lot and uh, all these other people. Well, in that passage, there's a very, very interesting scripture about uh, a guy by the name of Melchizedek, a priest of Salem and he comes to abraham and, and abraham tithes to him well that was even before the covenant was even established so the so tithing precedes the covenant in fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, He says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, you guys, you're missing the point. You're tithing all your little, you know, you're giving a little bit of wheat, you know, this, your, 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 uh, you know, your different spices and stuff, but you're neglecting all the important things. But he says you still should have been tithing without neglecting those things. So tithing, I believe, uh, is applicable to the church today. You know, there's a benefit for uh, planned giving and all the stuff that Paul lays out in these first four verses, these guidelines. One of the benefits is Paul doesn't need to ask for it when he arrives, it's already there, it's, a, it's been collected. And the other aspect to it, which I think is even more important, is you know not emotionally giving uh, through manipulation or coercion. Maybe you've been in a situation where someone's tried to manipulate into offering. You know, this ministry is going to die if you don't give money to it. Let it die, personally. You know, I'm sorry, I have kind of strong feelings about that. But you know. <laughs> you guys have been in a situation maybe where someone shared and it's like it came up suddenly and it's like all of a sudden you're like oh you know it's like you weren't planning on it and you know it can sometimes it can be a struggle so by planning by by setting something aside putting apart making that a part of your priority you don't have to be manipulated emotionally uh, it's 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 planned and it's proportionate and you have it set aside the other blessing is this, Proverbs 11:24 through 25. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. God will take care of you. There's blessings in giving. So these are good guidelines that Paul gives here. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, you know, Paul talks about guidelines for the church to give to the poor. Like so in this case it's specifically regarding widows, but it's people that are in need. And so Paul gives Timothy some really good guidelines for when the church should provide and I think it's good guidelines for people in general. Cuz one of the questions is who's the poor? I get calls almost every week from someone who's, you know, they tell me this real long situation. And I, I feel bad for them, but, but it's like I have no relationship with you. You're just calling churches to get, you know, we happen to be C, so you know they've probably done the American whatever church and then you know the Baptist church and now Calvary Chapel. We're the, we're the third one on the list, you know, and that happens sometimes. So, who is the poor? Well, in First Timothy chapter five verse three. Paul is teaching young Timothy, and he says, honor widows who are really widows. In other words, there's fake widows? (laughs) No. What he's saying is there's widows that shouldn't be supported by the church, and he'll give some reasons why. So first of all, you need discernment. You really do need discernment. I tell you what, when we started out as a Calvary Chapel, I'd get a phone call at at night from some guy in a hotel that's, you know, they give me this real long story and they need money. And man, I felt like every single person I call, I had to give money to. I've learned a little bit over time. And, you know, now I'm a little bit more discerning about those situations. There's still times when we give. But, man, I tell you, it's bathed in prayer and it's just seeking the Lord. You know, Lord, is this really, you know, and and the Lord will reveal things uh, regarding those situations. So even in Acts chapter 6, in Jerusalem, you know the apostles, they were giving to these different widows, and it was becoming, uh, there was some people were feeling left out, and it was getting just really conf- confusing, and, and the, the, the apostles, they were, that was their focus. So they said, we, we need to set aside, we need to appoint some deacons, some men, and here are the qualifications. Um, they were to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they themselves were to have a good reputation. And so, uh, you know, it really needs discernment. Who are the poor? Well, he continues here and gives some examples. In verse 4 of 1 Timothy 5, he says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable uh, before God. And that the whole principle is if a person has family that can meet the need, the family should meet the need. In Second Th- Thessalonians 3, verse 10, Paul says this, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So another question, another point of discernment, is a person able-bodied and can they provide for themselves? If that's the case, then yes, they should provide for themselves. Back in 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 through 10, Paul says this, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been taken, uh, has been the wife of one man. The number is the number of those that were being supported by the church. Not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Paul says, hey, before you give to these people, look at their lives. It's perfectly reasonable and fine to assess a person's moral conduct before giving to them. It's okay. It's also perfectly reasonable to expect that the person give back in some way. Now, obviously, they don't have treasure to give because that's why they're in need. But they do have time, and they do have talents, and so it's it's not unreasonable to expect that someone would give back, uh, you know, instead of just being a taker. And I've ran into people like that. You probably have too. They're always there's always a need, um, and they're never giving. They're just expecting to be re- to receive. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, Paul says this, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, meeting basic needs. Uh, It's like somebody comes to me, I really, you know, I want to go to Disneyland, you know. I'm really, really bad for you. I want to go too. (laughs) So, Paul here talks about giving, how to be free with giving, because that is one way that you and I can be occupied before the Lord's return, is being free with our finances, being free with our resources. Verse five, Paul says this, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I remain, or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." So now here's another very practical way to occupy until our resurrection, and that's how we use our time. Paul was on God's schedule. Again, remember, you live and you plan as if the Lord's coming back any time, but you occupy as if he wasn't coming back today. You keep, you keep, you're busy serving the Lord. And so Paul made plans to visit the Corinthians, to minister to them, and also to be ministered to by them. But he says, if the Lord permits. You know, Proverbs 19:21 says there are many plans in a man's heart nevertheless the Lord's counsel that will stand. Proverbs 16:9 a man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. Listen there's nothing wrong with making plans. It's not like well I've just got to you know I'm not going to make any plans. No we should make plans. But allow the Lord to alter them. Allow the Lord. You know that's something. Sometimes I struggle with that. I've I've got these things that I got to do, and then I get these interruptions. You know, and it's like I wasn't prepared for that. I gotta allow the Lord to direct my days. James 4:13. Come now, you who say, "Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit." Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So Paul is planning. He says, I'm planning to visit you, and I'm planning to stay a while with you if the Lord permits it. So how do you and I plan? How do you and I, how do you and I plan, uh, but then be on God's schedule? Well, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. In other words, start your day by acknowledging the Lord. Ask him to direct your paths, or to direct your schedule for the day as he sees fit for his purposes. You know, if you and I would do that, and I'll be honest with you, I don't always do that. I don't every morning I get up and go, okay, Lord, this day is yours. Sometimes I'm in a rush. Yesterday we were in a rush to get to uh, Wisconsin. We left at like, what time do we leave? It was dark, 5.15 or something to get out to Wisconsin. So I'll be honest with you. I woke up, <laughs> got in the car, and went. You know, But most days, if you and I would just start our day by acknowledging the Lord, asking him to direct our schedule, if you and I will do that, You'll never, get divi- you'll never get interrupted by a divine appointment. Something happens, hey, the Lord's, it's part, you know, I, I gave it to the Lord and this has happened. Okay, I'll deal with it. The problem is when you don't do that and then everything's an interruption, right, to your schedule. So Paul says, it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you. And then he also says, I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. So he was making plans, but he understood that the Lord might change those plans. Now, it doesn't mean make no commitment. Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit you. But the, real, the reality is, as we read 2 Corinthians, Paul's plans did in fact change. And I think the Lord's hand was in it. Now, his enemies at Corinth, they accused him of being untrustworthy and lacking integrity. And they said, man, he changes his plans. And so because, of that, because you can't trust him, you shouldn't listen to him as well. Well, he did stop on his first way to Macedonia, but it, evidently it was a very bad visit. It was full of confrontation. In fact, Second Corinthians two one talks about it. it. Says, "But I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow." So then he wrote this letter, a severe letter. Now, some people think it's Second Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians. Some think people think that it was actually a different letter, and that Second Corinthians is actually Third Corinthians. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. But whatever we have, we have this letter Second Corinthians, and go ahead and turn there. You're just one page over to the. I guess it'd be to the right, right? One page over. Second <laughs> Corinthians. I'm going to just read a few verses here. Look at down at verse 15. It says in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I do according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no?" In other words, Paul says, man, do you think I'm just, just i going to make a rash commitment, and you know, I say yes, but I really mean no, or I say no, and I really mean yes? But he says, "But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him was yes. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in in Him, Amen. To the glory of God through us." Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And then this last verse, verse 23, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. So Paul had planned to go to Corinth. And he did, in fact, but it was a bad, it was a short visit. He was planning on coming back for a longer visit, but it was full of confrontation. And so, to spare them another confrontation, he wrote this letter instead. And maybe it's just allowing some time for them to kind of absorb the letter and, and maybe repent on their own, which they did actually. So, there's a big difference between the Lord changing your plans and you changing your plans, right? There's a big difference between that. Sometimes, you know, we make a commitment. And then because all of a sudden it's inconvenient or we're lazy or maybe we just habitually make rash come. Yeah, I'll do that. And then we never do that. There's a big difference between that and the Lord changing your plans. The Lord changed Paul's plans. It wasn't because he was lazy or it was inconvenient. Listen, it's a greater testimony. It's a greater testimony if you make a commitment and follow through even if it's painful if it means sacrifice, or it's inconvenient to do, then if you don't make any commitments at all, but for fear that well, I don't want to break my commitment, I, it's frustrating. Sometimes in ministry, we you know we've got sign-up sheets and nobody signs up, and then the, but they show up later, and I go, well, well I wonder why. And well, I wonder if maybe they just are afraid to make a commitment because they don't want to break that commitment. You know, maybe you feel like you're a man or woman who keeps your word. Except the problem is you never give your word, so it's never tested. (laughs) It's unproven. You're playing it safe. You know, there's a story, and we won't get into it very long, but there's a guy by the name of Jephthah. The story of him, he's one of the judges, and it's in Judges chapter 11, and again, we're not going to look at that, but if you're taking notes, you can jot that down. Judges 11, verse 30, and he was a man who made a very rash commitment. He he said he was going to do something. He made an oath, and uh, it came down to it, and then he had to fulfill his oath. It's involving his daughter. And it was the hardest thing for him to do. But you know what? He fulfilled his oath, even though it, was, even though it cost him very, a lot to do it. The interesting thing is he's mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the, in the hall of faith. And I think it is because he followed through with a commitment, even though it was difficult. So make commitments, you know but understand you know the lord might change you know that's okay if the lord changes them but if you make a commitment man follow through with it if you're able to so make plans but allow the lord to alter them listen paul's heart and desire was to spend time with the believers in corinth he wanted to minister to them and you know that's the other aspect of this with time being involved with people takes time it really does It takes time to call someone. It takes even more time to visit them. It takes time to help them out. Maybe there's something you know that there's a need to, to help them out in some practical way, or to counsel with them, or to pray with them. That all takes time. But guess what? In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Listen it takes time to do all these things. It takes time to stir someone up to love, to, to encourage them in good works, to, to get together, to assembling with together, uh, or, you know, to exhort someone. It, it all takes time, but the, the message, or the, the thing is, time's running out. And so it's so important for us as believers to be involved with each other. Now, a lot of times, I, I use a scripture when I'm talking about the fellowship, you know, in a church, get together, you know, don't forsake that. But I even think it's throughout the week, assembling, ministering with people, it takes time. But that's a worthwhile time. It's a way that you and I can occupy until the Lord returns. And then verse 9, what a very, uh, what an amazing verse. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. (laughs) It's like, what? You'd think that he'd be saying, well, it's kind of tough here, so I guess the Lord's not in it, I'm out of here, you know? No, he says there's a great and effective door and there are many adversaries. See, Paul was willing to tarry to hang out where the Lord was working. And it was a difficult place for him to hang out. It was hard, but he's willing to do it because that's where the Lord was working. He sensed that the Lord was was working there, even in opposition and difficulty. And the thing is, God often does work in times of difficulty, in times of opposition. That's when God, his glory is revealed because he does amazing things sometimes like that. So Paul understood that. So Paul's willing to wait to tarry there wherever the Lord was working. Well, as we move on in this chapter, there's another very practical way to occupy until our resurrection, and that's using our talents. And Paul's gonna close out this letter uh, to the Corinthians. He's gonna be mentioning several people who were occupying until the Lord returns by using their talents. Look at verse 10. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. "'Therefore let no one despise him, "'but send him on his journey in peace, "'that he may come to me, "'for I am waiting for him with the brethren. "'Now concerning our brother Apollos, "'I strongly urged him to come uh, to you with the brethren, "'but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. "'However, he will come when he has a convenient time. "'Watch, stand fast in the faith, "'be brave, be strong, "'let all that you do be done with love. "'I urge you, brethren, "'you know the household of Stephanus that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have uh, devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men." So here's these different people that Paul mentions. The very first one is Timothy. He says, if Timothy uh, comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him. Who was Timothy? Well, we know from the book of Acts, he was a young man that, was, that lived in either Derby or Lystra. And he had a mother, a Jewish mother, by the name of Eunice. His father was a Gentile, was a Greek. And he had a grandmother named Lois and Eunice, and Lois became believers in Jesus Christ, and they obviously had an influence in young Timothy's life, and he became a believer in Jesus in Jesus Christ, and he became a disciple of Paul. He would be one. Of, he was one of Paul's traveling companions. He was he was spending time learning and being discipled by Paul, and he served Paul in many ways. Paul's always sending Timothy somewhere. Timothy, go there. Timothy, go there. You know, he was just like a gopher for Paul. What a good thing to do, though. Because not only is he he ministering to Paul and and being used in in very useful ways, but he's also gleaning as he's spending time with Paul. Very important. And so Paul here says to the Corinthians, see that he may be with you without fear. Now, why would Paul write that? Well, we know from... Paul's letters to Timothy, that Timothy had problems, stomach problems. We don't know what they were. It could very well have been nerves. He was a young guy. It seems like maybe he was a timid guy because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so I think maybe Timothy dealt with, you know, he was just a nervous guy. Maybe he felt inadequate in ministering, and so Paul says, see that he may be with you without fear. And then why does Paul say, let no one despise him? Well, you got to remember the Corinthians. Remember the beginning of the letter? Paul says, man, there's divisions among you. Some of you say I'm of Paul. Some of you say I'm of, a, you know, of Apollos. Some of you say I'm of Peter. Some of you say of Jesus. There's all these divisions, and they were attaching to people, and probably Timothy being a young man, they're like, what do you know? You're just a youth. You're just a kid. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul tells uh, Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, and faith, and in purity. Listen, speaking about occupying, you're never too young to serve the Lord. I, want you get, I wish all the little kids were here, but they're maybe too little, but you young people here, you're never too young to serve the Lord with the spiritual gifts he's given you. Let no one despise your youth. What's interesting, you know, Paul never gave up on Timothy. It sounded like at one point Timothy maybe got discouraged. In Second Timothy 1, verse 6, Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, Paul or Timothy, don't let your spiritual gifts lie dormant. And I know there's believers that, you know, maybe you've discovered what your spiritual gifts are, but you're not using them. We just went through all these chapters dealing with spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. I hope and pray that now you understand maybe that's one of the gifts that I have. I encourage you to use those gifts. Don't let your gifts lie dormant. And Paul never gave up on Timothy, and you know, it paid off, because later on, history tells us that Timothy became the bishop of the church of Ephesus. I love that. Well, we have the next guy, the guy by the name of Apollos. We know a little bit about him from the book of Acts, too. He was an eloquent public speaker. The Corinthians, the Greeks, they, they loved good speakers. If you could speak a good line, man, it didn't matter what you were saying, as long as you, it sounded good, man, we like you. And they liked Apollos because he was a smooth talker, probably not like Paul, definitely not like me. The thing about this, if you notice that, Paul never felt threatened or jealous of Apollos. Even though they were people that were attaching themselves to him, it, it wasn't a threat. to uh, to Paul. Paul says, our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you. Now, if he was jealous, he would say, man, I'm I'm going to uh, to Corinth. You stay behind. Paul's like, no, you you need to go to Corinth. I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Back in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul was addressing those divisions. And he says, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? And then he says this, I planted, and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So important. You know, there's different ministries, different gifts, different abilities, different talents, but use them. But, but understand this God's, God's the one that gives you the success in your ministry, whatever it is. It's God that does it, it's not us. In fact, in the Gospel of John in chapter 21, Jesus is telling uh, Peter what's going to happen to him. He's going to hes gonna be a martyr. Well, they all ended up being martyrs, except for John, although they tried to kill John, but he miraculously survived. But Jesus is revealing to Peter what kind of life he's going to have following Christ. And Peter looks over at John, and I think there was a little bit of competition between them. And Peter, it says in chapter 21, 21 verse 21, it says Peter, seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if he if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, don't be focused on somebody else and their ministry. You follow me. I just heard about a great big church that's getting planted here in Rochester. Oh, don't you ever go visit him. No, I'm just kidding. You know, a neighbor, a guy next door, he's he's uh, uh, he's going to be involved. His wife is going to be on the ministry team there. He's he's working. He doesn't live next door, but he's he's a House flipper, and he's flipping the house next door to us. And we were talking to him. He's a believer, and he said, "Yeah, my wife's gonna be there. I think she's gonna be the worship leader there or something." And he mentioned they had seventy-five musicians. I went, "Whoa, that's that's like that's a big church." And they're planning a big church. It's a big it's a big thing. Do I feel threatened by it? You know, I don't. I honestly don't, because some people get ministered in a big church. They love big church. They love the big crowds. That's cool they won't feel comfortable here <laughs> you can't hide in church here you know you're, you're, we know you we see you you know um <laughs> we know where you live no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> but seriously little churches are for different you know some people a big church they would just feel like a fish out of water they would feel like there's like they're just a number and then smaller church so you know we're going to minister to some that they're going to, not going to minister to, and they're going to minister to some that we're not. That's okay. As long as the Lord's being praised, and as long as people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus, who cares? So I don't need to be jealous about it. God's in control. So don't be so focused on what others are doing or not doing. Focus on what the Lord's called you to do. What has the Lord called you to do? How does he want you to be occupied? That's what you need to focus on. And then he says this in verse 13 through 14. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. It's interesting. If you look into the Greek, these are all military terms that Paul is using. You know, he's basically telling him, hey, guys, you're in spiritual warfare. There's a battle going on right now. You're a soldier for Christ. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're a soldier for Christ. There's no time to shrink back. And so he uses these military terms. He uses the term watch. You know, if you're, if you're a, a, a soldier and you're out there on the battlefield, you're watching to make sure that the enemy doesn't invade your, your camp or, you know, you're keeping an eye out for the enemy. In 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion whom he may devour. Man, you gotta watch out. And then he says, stand fast in the faith. It really, it means hold your ground. Don't give up an inch in the battle. Hang on to that place. You've heard stories of people in battles where you know they just they've just held that little piece of land. They didn't give it up, you know, at a great cost to them. And that's what this is referring to. Stand fast in the faith. So what's that little ground that you and I are to hold on to? It's our faith. It's our faith. Galatians five one. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Hold your ground. What's the ground? Salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't let anyone get you caught up in legalism and in some kind of bondage of some sort. Hold your ground. Hold on to that faith. And then he says, be brave. Now, the King James Version is quit you like men, which means basically be manly. And I say, go, well, wait a minute. You're just talking to the men. No, I think the application is grow up. Act like a man or act like a woman. Grow up. Second Timothy. Verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one uh, entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You're going to... Life is tough. I was... We were talking... Uh, my wife's selling purses that she's handcrafted, and we were at a, a show yesterday, and the, there was a lady next to us, and we were talking to him for a while, and, you know, sometimes in these shows, these kids come through, and uh, there's a guy right across from us that had crystal glass bone stuff, and these little kids were coming to your grandma, I'm like... Man. Uh, the guy looked really relaxed. man I was like biting my nails, like, "Oh, oh you know, the kid doesn't break stuff, you know, and we've had kids come through and, and grab things and and you know kind of just you know make a mess and stuff. and um where am I going with that? Uh, oh, well, I was talking to her, and we were talking about the generation of kids, and we go, you know uh, it's like there's a there's this generation of, of kids that are growing up that you know there's no losers. And so, you know, every, everybody's got to be a winner. And so, you know, you can't have a loser. Well, life's not that way. <laughs> life is tough. God's good, but life is tough. And so endure hardship. There's going to be ups and downs in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And no one entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Stop playing games, basically, I think is what he's saying. Ephesians 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We need to mature in our faith. And then he says, be strong. What are we to be strong in? There's a few verses that I think uh, sum it up. Ephesians 6, 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put your your trust in the Lord and his strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. it doesn't matter what I'm facing, I can do it because Christ is in me, and he can do it. I might not be able to, but he can. He can strengthen me. Colossians 1.11 talks about this, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Man, can you be joyful in a difficult situation? Can you be patient? Be strong in that. And finally, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't, let gra- don't ever let go of grace. So watch, stand, uh, watch, stand fast, be brave, and be strong. But then he finally says this, verse 14. Let all that you do be done with love. See, I mean, we could be we could be soldiers for Christ. We could be we could be on the front lines. We could be holding our ground. You know, we we've got our theology. You know, our, our doctrines. We're we're not letting go of anything. We're, man, we're not we're watching for the enemy, we've got all these things. But if we don't have love, Paul says that right in chapter thirteen, it doesn't mean anything. So, when whatever you do, be tempered, be controlled, be governed by love, by Christ's love. And then finally, he mentions. Uh, actually not finally, there's two more groups of people, but he mentions this group, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus. Now apparently Stephani- Stephani- Stephanus excuse me, was a head of a household, and he was the first fruits of Achaia. It means that he was one of the first converts in that region that, that Paul went to. In fact, he was one of the few that Paul recalls personally baptizing. This is back in chapter 1, verse 16. So says, like, I, think I, I think I baptized the household as Stephanus. But other than that, I, so I don't remember who I baptized. So that's who Stephanus was. He was a husband, a father, a, a head of a household. But get this, he's one, a head of a household, who led his family. He led his family. He was a spiritual shepherd in his family. That's a way that you can occupy, guys, being the shepherd, being the spiritual head of your family, leading your family in the fear and the love of the Lord. Fortunatus and Achaeus. Evidently, uh, commentators believe they, they probably were former slaves. And the reason why is because those are very common slave names in the Roman Empire. Well, they were probably slaves that came to faith in Christ Jesus. So all three men, Fortunatus or Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Here's another way to occupy devoting yourself to serving others. What an important thing. He says, they were lacking on your part. Uh, lacking on your part. I, I got my notes wrong. But they basically lacking what you didn't what you didn't do. They were meeting Paul's chur- uh, needs that the Church of Corinth failed to do. It's what they were doing. He says, they refreshed my spirit in yours. And you know, when I was reading that, I got to ask myself this. Do I bring refreshment to others? Now, I'm not talking about like Kool-Aid and cookies, you know? But do I refresh people with my presence? When I'm spending time with them, when I'm involved in fellowship, I mean, it, do they leave going, man, oh, that's awesome. I, I really, I'm encouraged. Or or they look at you and they go, man, that's a Debbie Downer, man. Sorry if your name's Debbie here tonight. but. You know what I'm talking about? Some people are really, they can be a drain on others. It's like they come in the room and it's like, they're the black hole of you know misery and everything. And, and it's, it's just, there's no joy. Do I bring refreshment to other people? Well, evidently, these three men did. They were devoted to serving other people. If there was a need, they saw a need, they would go to meet that need. They saw that there was a need that, that someone else wasn't filling in, they didn't go, well, you know what, that's someone else's job. No, man, they jumped in to do it. They were devoted to serving others, and they brought refreshment to Paul and other people. And then verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. We know quite a bit about Aquila and Priscilla uh, from the book of Acts. They were Jews that were living in Rome at the time. Paul met them, and uh, or Corinth, I guess it was. If Paul met them. They had been driven out from Rome, I guess. And, uh, and they were fellow tent makers, so they worked alongside with Paul. Uh, they became, they be, became believers in Jesus Christ, and, and uh, they became great friends and great companions of Paul. And uh, so these guys, Aquila and his wife Priscilla, they had a church that met in their house. What does that speak to? That speaks to hospitality, having, having an open home for people to, to be able to minister to people. That's what Aquila and Priscilla did. Not only that, but we know from Acts that uh, they discipled Apollos. Apollos, when he first became a believer, he he, he he knew a lot about Jesus, but he didn't know everything. And there was a lot of areas where he was just, you know, he didn't have it all together. And so Aquila and Priscilla, They they took the time to disciple Apollos. And Apollos, man, he took off. He was a a great minister of the gospel. But the other thing I see in this, too, is that the husband and wife were ministering side by side. I love that when I see that in our fellowship. When I see it in any ministry, when there's a husband and wife serving side by side, Sometimes I see a situation where a husband is just, you know, serving, but the wife, you know, you're just never involved, or the other way around. In fact, more frequently, it's the other way around. The wives are involved ministering. They're, they're just ministering in so many different ways, but the husband's not nowhere. It's like, where are you guys? Where are you guys? What a blessing. A husband and what a testimony to your children when the husband and wife minister side by side. I think it's such an important thing. You're setting us such a good example for your family. So it's an encouragement to all of us in that regard. Well that's what Aquila and Priscilla were. So there's some there's you know as we've gone through this hopefully there, you've seen there's some there's some ways that you can occupy before Christ's return. And then Paul closes his letter with this greetings, verse 20. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to start instituting that here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not. Hey, in that culture, that was a perfectly acceptable thing. That was. You know, I'm, I, I doubt it was a kiss on the lips. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I doubt it was. Um, we went down and did mission work down in Peru. And uh, when you go down to Peru, you just touch a cheek to a, the other person. That, that's their form of greeting and stuff. If Paul was here in in the Midwest, he'd basically say, give someone a hearty handshake in the Lord, you know, or something like that. It's our culture. Uh, It's meant to convey sincere affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you sincerely care about one another? Well, show it. Show it. Now, we're not going to do, and notice he says it's a holy kiss, okay, so it's nothing weird or nothing. Um, It was what was culturally acceptable in Paul's day, in our culture, I think you'd, you'd be—most of us guys would. If you did that to the one of the women, we pull you aside and say, "You know what? <laughs> Don't do that anymore. <laughs> or we're going to lay the heavy hand of fellowship on you and pray for healing later." You know, I mean, that's just—we're going to do that. You know. Um, so that was culture acceptable in our culture. It's different, okay? You know, when when we talk about this, you know, with guys, hey, if you're hugging. You don't need to give a full body hug to the women. you know you can you can show your affection you know in a holy way, but you know, do what's culturally acceptable. And I, noticing our culture is changing. it's even getting more, you know, We need to respect that. We really do need to respect that. So greet one another with a holy kiss. In other words, show sincere affection to them. It's this salutation with my own hand. So evidently, Paul had been dictating this. Uh, somebody, one of his assistants, one of his companions had been writing. You know, we think that Paul had bad eyesight, whatever. Uh, and at the end, Paul's, this was such a personal letter. Paul's like, man, I'm, I want to sign it myself so they know it's for me. So he signed it himself. And he says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if we were to sum up this chapter right after his teaching on the resurrection is live and plan as if Jesus Christ is coming back today, because he could very well today. But in the meantime, occupy until he comes. Why don't you stand up let's go, Lord, in prayer.